Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. My name is Pastor Spence. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Church. I'm excited for us to continue in our series that we're in as a church uh, that we're calling Getting Started. And the idea behind it is that if you were brand new to church, never done the church thing before, and um, for us it started two weeks ago. If you were to start two weeks ago, then you would be, by the end of the series, kind of caught up on the basics of the Christian life. And so we're glad that you're here with us, and I've found, man... This is kind of this cool flyover where we're diving into any of the things that we're just touching for a week. If you were to dive into a man, the Lord can use it to change your life. And that's kind of the idea of this series. I know last week I talked to so many of you that really the, the idea of the good day, bad day religion and how you've been walking in that for a while. When you, when you heard it and realized you can have freedom from that in Christ, man, God's starting to really work on you through that. And I'm, I'm very excited about it. And I got to tell you, this morning I get to share with you something that is just a deep passion of mine. It's just one of the things that God has given me a great love for, and that is the people of God. Our topic today is the gospel community as we continue this series, the people of God, and Jesus gave that people a name when he came to earth, and that name is the church. Y'all, the church is so central to the New Testament and so important, so valuable to Jesus that you simply, you cannot get started in the Christian life without it. It is the, there's no way to read the Bible where the church doesn't emerge as the centerpiece of God's plan to change you personally and to change the whole world. And in a minute, I'm gonna show you that. I'm gonna show you Jesus's huge heart for the church. He is crazy about it. We're gonna talk about that love that he has for the church. We're going to see that in scripture. And then what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time after seeing how much God loves it, how much he calls it, the beautiful picture he calls the church to be. Then I want to spend some time talking about why we fall so short of it so often. And I think many of us have had that experience. And then we're going to finish with just some steps that we can take together in being the church. But before I get there, I got to take a second and I want to address what for some uh, might be a little bit of nervousness, might be a little bit of an elephant in the room. Y'all listen, I've been a part of four churches my whole life, okay? Um, I, I was born into a Christian family that took me to church, so from age zero to now, I've had four church experiences, and here's the deal. The first two did not end well. They ended pretty painfully, and they left some scars on me personally. I've shared that story before. I'm not gonna uh, share all that now, but let's just say it, it hurt, and it did leave me skeptical of church, and I know some of you come in here and you've got deep pain and maybe you've got some scars from an experience with the church. And y'all, that, that breaks my heart. Because for you, I know, because I felt it too, church was supposed to be a safe, life-giving place and instead it was painful. Or maybe you're kind of a little bit of a spectator here now where you're like, I'm ne I've never gotten too close to a church because I've seen the headlines. 
I've seen the headlines about what pastors do and about what happens in churches, and so I'm going to kind of keep my distance a little bit. And listen, I just want you to kind of know, if you're in that category where you're a little bit skeptical as you come in, I just kind of want you to know that I know. And the last thing I want to do is minimize that part of your story. Instead, listen, if that's you, I believe God has brought you here today so that you can receive, receive fresh hope, a breath of fresh hope from God as it relates to his church. That's today. Now, you're going to have to decide what to do with that. But listen, the, the message I'm giving you is the result of years of prayer and of study and of the experience of after those two painful churches, church experiences, having the experience of two churches, the second of which being Mercy Church, who have loved me well and who I have found joy in being a part of. And I want to offer that vision of that hopefulness to you. And so my ask of you is just to take that guard down, put those gloves down just enough to hear it. You can decide what to do with it afterwards, but just to, just to hear it. Now listen, normally at uh, Mercy Church, if you're new with us, normally on a weekend what I'll do is I'll take a passage of scripture and just kind of walk through it verse by verse, kind of how we go. And in fact, if you're here for multiple weeks, what we usually do is we take like a book of the Bible or a section of a book of the Bible and just walk through it week by week. Um, today's going to be a little bit different, okay? Instead of studying one passage of scripture like we would normally do, what we're going to do is we're going to survey what the Bible says about the church. That's kind of like zooming out a little bit so that we can get the picture of the whole landscape, if you will. All right, I hope that makes sense. But here's the big idea, what everything's kind of driving towards today. All right, big idea. The church isn't a program that you attend. It's a people you belong to. That's a big idea we're gonna keep coming back to. It's not a program you attend. It's a people you belong to. To believe the gospel is to belong. That's everything today. What we're hoping to do, what I'm hoping to do, is kind of hit the reset button on church and get clear about how we function in it. Because again, whether you have no background or maybe an incorrect background, we wanna get clear together on what the church is to be. Um, I grew up, like I said, I grew up kind of in a church environment. So we learned in a thing called Sunday school, which was Sunday morning kind of educational school. So we learned this in little kids' Sunday school, this idea that um, I've shared with some of you before that the teachers used to teach on, hey, here's a little cool thing to remember what the church is. And what they would say is, it was really cute, but it was heresy. All right, they would say, here's the church. And now they have my thumbs back, I can do this. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and there's the people. That's so cute, it's wrong, but it is so cute, right? What it actually should be, because that didn't even work for Mercy Church, right? Because like, here's the Levine Center, you know, here's your air conditioning units. There's your car, right? Like way over here, right? And then you, so this is, here's the building. You open the doors and there's the church, right? That's the people are the church. That's the way we should be teaching this to one another. That's what we're going to dive into today. The church is not a building. The church is not a program. The church is a people that we belong to. And that's what we're going to get after today as we go through it. So I got three parts. What is the church? We're going to look at this beautiful way that God portrays the church in the New Testament. What is the church? And then why do we fall short of it so often? And then what's our next step? All right, those are the three things. So let's jump in. What is the church? I'm going to show you the three most common descriptions the New Testament gives the church. Now, they're going to be metaphors, but don't just write that off, okay? They're very specifically chosen metaphors. They're the labels that God has chosen to give, the descriptions God himself has chosen to give the church, and they're gonna help us understand his love for people. So the church, here is the first way that the Bible describes 
the church. What is it? The church is Jesus's family. It's his family. Amen. If there's anyone that I want you to lock into today, it's this one. There's this moment in Matthew's gospel where Jesus is in a crowded house. He's with his disciples. He's teaching people. And then his siblings and his mom come walking down the road. And they're like, where is Jesus? We need to get him. Right? And so they ask for him. It's Matthew 12, 46 through 50. I'll put it on the screen. Like I said, we're going to jump through some spots today. So I'll have the scripture on the screen. You can, of course, write the reference. And the manuscript's always available online. But um, verse 46, he says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mothers and brothers, they stood outside. And they were asking to speak to him. But he replied to the guy that said, hey, man, your brother's sister outside. Here's what he said. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards the disciples right there, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, you got to understand, y'all, this wasn't casual. He's not like, this is my fam. This is very much a teaching moment. He was redrawing family lines. In fact, he said two chapters earlier in Matthew 10 that coming to faith in Christ would divide brother against brother in the same house. The New Testament letters pick up on this language and the default term of the New Testament used by all the New Testament authors when addressing the church is brother and sister. Y'all, I, I, I counted, I got to 250 times that the church was referred to as brother and sister before I was just like, I'm done. Clearly that's the normal thing, Okay. Um, it was so com- the reason it's so common in the New Testament letters is because they were just following what Jesus had laid out. They're just following his leading, and Jesus decided his followers were to be a family. And y'all, this was revolutionary in that day. I gotta get you to see that. See, the world that the Bible was written into was what we would call a strong group-centric culture. If, that, if this makes sense, what I mean by that is family bloodlines were everything. Your family that you were a part of took priority over you as an individual. But we today read the Bible with Western eyes. We can't help it. This is the culture that we have. And our Western eyes are steeped in in a culture where the individual takes priority over the family. So you see, when it's written into the, the day it's written into, following Jesus, meaning that you're gonna be changing families, this was offensive And it was incredibly life-altering. And I need you to see that that's actually still true today. You become a part of a family when you become a Christ follower. The way I used to teach it to um, high school students is I would say this, say, all right, when you become a Christian, your last name changes. Your last name is no longer whatever your last name is. Now it's Jesus. All right, so I'm no longer Spence Shelton. I'm Spence Jesus. That's Jamal Jesus you know, Mike Jesus over there, right? Like everybody, everybody last name is Jesus, right? Because that's who we are. We're a new family. This practice of church as a family, y'all, this will continue forward as normative, normative in the early church. Um, one of the greatest early church writers, an early church father, is a guy named Tertullian. He was African, raised in what would be like modern day Tunisia up there. Here's a little bit, I'm gonna give you just a, a taste of what he had to say in his writings on the unity of the church. He said, he said, we call ourselves brothers, family. So we who are united in mind and soul, we have no hesitation about sharing what we have. Everything is in common among us. Well, except our wives. Don't you like that? A little threw that in there? I don't know if there was some shady swingers cult like next door in Carthage where he's riding or whatever, but make sure to clarify it. Look, here's where it starts hitting home for us. In our culture, it's so, it's just kind of normative for us to think of our faith as personal. And in a sense, it is. 
I mean, anyone who comes to faith in Jesus has to come to faith on his or her own. That's true. But when God saves you, the language that he has chosen to use to describe what happens is he says you are adopted into a new family. You're part of a family. So I'm going to challenge you in a little bit towards the end of the sermon to plant yourself like a family member into a church family. If it's mercy, great. We will love that. But if it's not, somewhere. let it be somewhere. Because you'll never get the fullness God intends for your life apart from the family. Now, I got to say one last thing on the family. God's family is culture rich. Colossians 3 says in the church, in God's family, here, this is 3.11, here, in the church, in God's people, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. See, the, the family of God, because it is bound together by Christ's blood, what happens is it looks unlike any other family on earth. This is why it is so important, so inherent in the church to be multicultural, because the, when that happens, we show the world a family that is bound together by one thing, by forgiveness in Christ, and because that's what we're bound together in, anyone can join. Y'all, we got a ways to go there uh, for our church. I long for the people of every culture in Charlotte to find Christ and be able to belong to the Mercy family, because this family, I want it to be one that's impossible to explain apart from the hope of Christ. And friends, this means many things for us, to my white brothers and sisters, it means being aware, just to start with, just being aware that we're in the majority culture. And because of that, we have no idea the burden a brother or sister of color carries by being the minority in our, in our city and even in our church. I'd encourage you to find ways to maybe put yourself in their shoes, you know, because if, you, if you've ever, if you ever had that moment where you've been the only white person in the room, maybe it's in a restaurant or somewhere else, what comes to your mind, whether you wouldn't necessarily verbalize it, but what comes to your mind maybe a little bit is, wait, should I be here? Am I supposed to be here? And that question, that question's on the mind of any minority brother or sister who attends our church. But the gospel says we are all one blood. So the answer is yes. And we've got work to do to get to a place where anyone feels like the gospel is all they need to believe in order to belong, that that's all we need. You shouldn't need gospel plus assimilation into a majority culture, but just the gospel. Y'all, I, I long for that day, and I believe God is building that church this way. Um, last night, our family watched a, um, we watched a movie called The Greatest Showman. All right, it's, it's a fictional movie, not even really based on P.T. Barnum's life, but kind of fictional, but it's a musical movie. Our family loves it. But let me tell you something. The bearded lady said something genius in the middle of that, okay? So hang with me. You go back and catch it all. But she looks at P.T. Barnum. It's towards the end of the movie. And she says, our mothers didn't want us. Society rejected us. We all come from totally different places. But we found a home here, and now we are a family. And I thought, and I looked at Courtney, and I was like, hey, rewind. She's like, no, they listen to the music. I'm like, man. There's a Jesus point here, you know, I'm a preacher. And so I was sitting there looking at it, and I realized, she's talking about the, church, the circus the way we've got to see the church. 
that we are a bunch of, the church is a circus. We don't got elephants parading in here. We're a bunch of misfits, and we should be, and it should not matter what your background is, what your culture is, but that you can find life in Jesus, and that's enough to be a part of the family. Whether you are a 15-year-old black boy, a a 50-year-old white woman, or a 35-year-old bearded lady, whatever that is, you could be a part of the family. That should be enough. But listen, that's going to take a lot of grace. That's going to take a lot of humility. That's going to take a lot of patience. It's going to take, if you've got a minority brother or sister who's a friend, you in the majority culture, it means just constantly being a friend, asking how are you doing, how, that sort of thing. But it's going to take commitment to one another. So let me say this. How committed, do you or God, or how committed are you to God's family? And maybe I can ask it a different way that might press a little bit, and you're just going to have to, have to receive this. If you treated your immediate family the way you treat God's family, what would your immediate family think of you? Now, let me give the flip side here. Some of you come from terrible family backgrounds, and the idea of church as family is frightening. I met a, a guy this week, um, Mexican guy, um, moved from Mexico City up to Washington State for college. He came to Christ at age 20, and he told me, he said, my dad spent most of his life in prison. When he was out on parole, he was abusing us. And so when I heard the idea of church as family, that was the thing that made me hold off the longest because of my family background. They said, you know what, though? When I received the gospel and when I finally took that leap to get into the church, you know what I found? I found spiritual fathers, the ones that I was always created to have. I found spiritual brothers and sisters. Y'all, Matthew 19, 29 said, everyone who leaves father and brother for my namesake will receive 100 times that fathers and brothers in his life. What's he talking about? Jesus is talking about the church. Do you know the love of God for you as a father? If not, listen, you know where you can find it? You can begin to experience it? It's in the church with spiritual fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Y'all, the church is not a program we attend. It is a family that we belong to. And I'm here to tell you, it can be that for you. We're gonna talk, like I said, about why it falls short in a little bit. Let's keep going. I'm gonna go a lot quicker on these next two. Uh, The next description that we see a lot for um, how the Bible describes God's church is the church is Jesus's bride, which might be an odd one for you if you're newer to church, but the New Testament talks about the church as the bride of Jesus. In fact, one of the most commonly used passages to teach on marriage, it's actually a passage that that I use often for it to teach um, about marriage. It's actually talking about Jesus and his bride. The church, it's Ephesians 5. I'm gonna give you just um, a couple of verses, 24, 25, and then 31 and 32. He says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. See see the, the thing he says first. First he says, as the church submits to Christ. Talking about Christ and the church. Husbands, love your wives, how? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then he finishes explaining why he set this up this way. In verse 31, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's just quoting Genesis 3 there, and he says, this mystery is profound, but I'm telling you that this refers, this depicts, this describes, this is telling something about Christ in the church. John calls Jesus the groom. In John 3, Jesus describes himself as the groom in Matthew 9. This is what I want you to hear about all of this. We say it often around here. You cannot 
love Jesus and ignore his bride. You can't. He and his girl are a package deal. If you say, for example, you say you want to be my friend, but you're skeptical of Courtney. You say you want to be my friend, but uh, you don't trust Courtney. You want to be my friend, but you don't really have time. You're too busy for Courtney. Well, then you and I aren't going to be friends because me and Courtney are a packaged deal. I'm married to her. You want to roll with me? She's coming. That's how that goes. Listen, like a husband loves his wife, God loves the church fiercely, passionately. Y'all, that doesn't mean the church is perfect, but it means flaws and all, God is faithful to it. He loves it. And the great news is, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a part of that bride, which means he loves you fiercely. He's going to be faithful to you always because his covenant with you is not conditional on your performance in the marriage. Y'all, I do not have time to start preaching a marriage sermon, but I really want to right here because if there's so many, if husbands and wives, listen to me for just a moment. If we would start to love one another, if you start to love your spouse the way God has loved you, which means even when you betrayed him, even when you betrayed him, even when you slandered him, he responded in love. And now you respond to your spouse that way and you offer forgiveness when they deserve judgment. And that, that's a covenantal view of marriage. Instead of a contract view of marriage, which is so popular in our day, which is you do for me and I'll do for you. But if you don't hold up your end, I'm out. Now listen, what I'm saying is not easy. Some of y'all have been down that road and I'm not minimizing anything about your marriage, but I'm saying if we would love our spouse with the love that God has for us, can you imagine what this would do for our marriages and for our families? But the bottom line is God's love is being poured out on you in this relationship. Do you see how much he loves you? He calls you son or daughter. He calls you his spouse and he's faithful and constant like that. Church isn't a program you attend. It is a marriage that you belong to. Now let me give you the, the last um, of these three images that I'm giving you. There's actually several more. It's a people. Um, there's many more that I could give you, but these are the three big ones in the New Testament that describe the church. The last one is that the church is Jesus's body, his body. Now, that, again, if you're new to the Bible, that's probably the oddest one of the day, okay? Um, but it's constant throughout the New Testament. The church is described as Jesus's body, and Christ is described as the head. That's Colossians 1. We're the body. He's the head. Uh, the letter to First Corinthians, uh, the, the first letter to the Corinthians, um, talks about the body of Christ. And here's what Paul says in chapter 12. For just as the body, he's talking about the human body, so think about your body for a second, has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, going back to again, how the gospel reconciles people that were once enemies now together, Right? Slaves are free, and all are made to drink of one spirit. And here's the larger thing. If you are in Christ, it's just it's what God has said about you. You're part of the body. Let me say it another way. If you are in Christ, you are a body part. That might sound weird, like a little weird church anatomy lesson that's happening. But what if, if, if what the Bible says is true, listen, you are a part of the body, which means you are not able to survive on your own because you're not the whole body. So whether you believe it or not, 
You need God's people, and God's people need you because you're a part of the body. This is um, 1 Corinthians 12, 21, where Paul keeps going toward the end of that little section. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Right? The body to function rightly got to have all the parts working. You need other body parts. They need you. This is not a hard metaphor, right? The body parts all serve each other. They all get their instructions from the head who is Christ. I was thinking about it. I just got, um, I had a cast for like six weeks on my right hand that was, uh, I had a broken thumb and so my thumb was just stuck, right? It wasn't working. Y'all, in injury world, that's got to be like the smallest of injuries, just a broken thumb, right? But do you know how incredibly inconvenient it is to not be able to use your thumb? I needed my thumb to tie my shoes. Courtney was cutting my, any meat that I had because she's like, I can't believe you're like tucking a knife into your cast and trying to cut and everything. Like, I need to hold anything, right? The whole body suffered from this tiny part not working. Y'all, our thumbs are super essential. We take them for granted. Some of y'all are spiritual thumbs and God could be using you in incredible ways in this body. What body part are you? The only part I know you're not is the belly button because I think that came after the fall. Those things are gross, and so you don't have to worry about being that, okay? But God talks about, here's the cool thing. He calls you a body part, whatever that is, but then he talks about it at the same time as a gifting. That's what he says. He says, you're a body part, and, and that's actually a gifting from God to you. There are no limits to the kinds of functions you could serve in the body. So here's my question. If the eye needs the hand, what's your function? Listen, God himself has given you a gifting imparted through the Holy Spirit to you to serve the body. What an amazing calling that is. Every single one of us has that. So you gotta jump off the sideline and get into the game. Not because I want you to, because you hear like, hey, we need some volunteers. No, 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 no. Because you have been called and gifted by God for the sake of showing off his glory, his character, by how he gifts you to be used here in the body. Y'all, church isn't a program you attend. It's a body that you belong to. And when we're all working together, serving one another, seeking to obey Jesus as we do, man, think about what the Lord might do among us. That's the church that I want to be a part of. I believe it's the church God's building here. And that's what we need to just have. It should be a season of discovery of well, I thought it was a thumb. Actually, I'm an elbow or whatever it means. You know, the metaphor extends so far. But we got to be discovering how God has wired us and gifted us to be serving one another for the glory of God. So here's the thing. There's the, I'm just giving you a taste of the awesome portrait of the church that God paints throughout the New Testament as a family, a rich, good family, as a marriage, as a body. So the question naturally comes, well, then Why? Why don't I experience that? Why does the church so often fall short of? The, look how beautiful that is in scripture. Why is that not my experience? So I want to take just a minute, like I told you I would, to talk about what makes church difficult sometimes. That's the way I'm a, you know, that's what it is we just talked about. Now, what makes it difficult? Why do we struggle sometimes? Here's the first reason, or the first thing that makes church difficult, sin. I got a big surprise for you. Churches are full of sinners. I tell, um, uh, you know, as I get to coach uh, young pastors and, and church planters, I tell them all the time, listen, your cool systems for discipleship are gonna work great right up until you put people in them. And then it's gonna be a mess. 
because church is a family of sinners led by sinners, and sinners sin. We do, which is why we got to rehearse the gospel every single day. We got to rehearse it over ourselves. That's why, yeah, that's why we preach the gospel every weekend here is rehearsing the gospel over one another. I've told you before, it should be common for us to take the word gospel, turn it into a verb, and be gospeling one another, which means repenting when we sin against someone. It means offering forgiveness when we are sinned against. Y'all, without it, we are going to be a super dysfunctional family. I, I really do believe that gospeling Encouraging one another in your identity in Christ and his or her identity in Christ when they're feeling depressed, they're feeling in despair, they're feeling lonely, whatever that is, reminding them of who they are in Christ. That's the secret sauce to church unity and to church growth and church health, I promise you. So if you're kind of, again, one of those spectators kind of sitting on the fence, looking in, and you're saying, you know what, the reason I've never gotten into church is because churches preach a message that they don't live up to. Well, you're kind of right, all right? We'll never live up to Jesus. He's perfect. We're not. But that's the first half of the message. The second half is that Ephesians 2 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we're going to mess up, and there is plenty of room for one more messed up person to find the grace of God here. And I promise you, once you dive in, these people that you might be a little skeptical of, they will be your greatest allies in fighting sin. I have, I got, I know your stories. It's the joy of being your pastor. I'm not gonna tell you names, but I know of individuals, you know who you are, who were on the brink of just spiraling out of control in sin and the Lord in his grace used people, people to pull you back from it. I know marriages, I know a marriage that was, come sit in my office, we're getting a divorce. And their community group looked at them and said, nope. And just flat out, no, you're not. We're going to figure this thing out together. And walked away. And that was painful. It took forever. They were their allies. And now that marriage is flourishing. Y'all, I know sin, sin is here. But the grace of God is more powerful than that. Let me tell you the second thing that the way we can say it is that it makes church difficult sometimes. It's fear. Because of sin, we're afraid of risking enough of ourselves to become a genuine part of the family. We don't trust each other enough to be more than acquaintances. I'm going to tell you right now, y'all, we got to take that to Jesus. Here's what I mean. The gospel says you have God's love. Let the weight of who I'm talking about, God, his love given to you. So Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for you, if his love is on you, who can be against you? Do you believe that? His perfect love does cast out fear. God promises his love if you will make your home in it, if you will abide in it. Remember last week's message, if you'll abide in that love, it'll build a foundation so strong, nobody can shake it. So here's what that means. You can risk trusting others because if they do hurt you, you still have the love of the Father that is more than enough in bucketfuls for you. Here's the third thing that I found makes church difficult sometimes. It's loneliness found this one to be unique to church planting because our church is two and a half years old and everybody in that regard is still fairly new. And everybody usually will believe everything I've said about the church up to this point. And then they'll say, yeah, but I feel alone. And I, I've been guilty of this too. I'll wait on God to bring me a friend. 
And I'll say, you know, I've met some real people, but I've met some great people, but I haven't really met my, my ride or die yet, my squad or whatever name we will use for our people, right? Can I challenge you with something I heard recently that really challenged me? Instead of waiting on a friend, try being a friend. Just try being a friend. Instead of waiting around for mercy to become like a church home to you, plug into the church and make it your home. That's the way I heard um, one guy say a long time ago, it stuck with me. Do you want to know what true friendship is? The friendship that Christ gives and that we're supposed to give one another? It's to be fully known and fully loved. See, to be fully known but not fully loved, that's rejection. I know you and I don't want anything to do with you. To be loved but not known, that's just sentiment, sentimentality. It's shallow. But true friendship that is first offered to you in Christ is that he knows you fully, warts, sins all, and he loves you fully. And that's the love he calls us to give to one another as friends. And that requires time and intentionality. You gotta plug in, you gotta make this place your home. Some of you have been around here for over a year, you're not really sure if it's your church yet. Of course you're not sure, because you've kept yourself at a distance, right? So here's my challenge to you. Step out, take the risk, trusting your identity in Christ is enough, and go all in with the church. Now, it doesn't have to be Mercy Church. We'd be glad for it to be, but I hope you will dive in somewhere, because if the church is a family, look, don't be weird Aunt Betty that shows up at Christmas with some nasty casserole, and then we don't see her again, Okay? Jump in. In fact, that leads me right to the last section of this sermon. All right, what's my next step? I got five, I think. I might add some more. I don't know. Five that I'm pretty sure I'm going to share with you. And some of, maybe more than one of these applies. Maybe just one. Um, I I think there's been plenty of other action steps up to this point anyway. So um, listen to these. What's my next step? Here's, I think, your first one. I know it's your first one. If you're newer to Christianity, repent and believe. Repent and believe. I want you to hear something. We are okay, actually excited with you being around the church if you're not a Christian. But I want you to know that the church, in God's eyes, are the people, those who have received his gift of salvation. And that's big, because sometimes when I ask people when they became a Christian, they'll say, well, I was born um, as a Christian, and I grew up in a, a church home. Well, listen, you may have been born into a Christian environment, but you weren't born a Christian because people aren't born Christians. People are born sinners. And we gotta each come to the realization that we are sinners in need of saving and we gotta receive that gift of salvation and maybe that's what you need to do today. You've been around the church and this has happened several times in our church and I'm so thankful to that. You've seen God change other people and that's attracted you here. You've experienced the love of God as other people have extended it to you and now you're saying, man, there's something about these people and here's what it is. It's that they've received the love of God on them. And now they're giving that to you and you need to receive that love from God. And that maybe that's your step today. Here's the second one, be baptized. The New Testament is clear that the first step for following Jesus, your first step as a Christian is to get baptized. And the reason is that right there in that moment, what you're saying is, you're saying to the rest of the believers, in fact, the the church was often called the baptized Uh, That was the the way they described them. What you're saying to the rest of them is you're saying, I'm with you. I believe. I'm joining myself with this belief, and I'm saying, yes, I believe Jesus died for me. Y'all, we're doing baptisms at the end of the month, and look, there's a a reason we're doing this. There's a specific, I'm going to call it mode for baptism. It's after conversion. That's why I said, first, repent and believe. Second, be baptized, because baptism is an act of obedience. It doesn't 
grant you faith. It's an acknowledgement of your faith. So it's after you believe, and then it's by immersion. It means you dunk you and bring you up. So listen, if you got baptized as an infant, that's great. That, but that was your parents' faith. Time to make it yours. And time to be obedient to God and celebrate your salvation. Now, we got, again, this week, there's a card on the seat. It's just pretty simple. It says, I want to get baptized. Put your name, email, phone number. We're going to follow up with you. Many of you responded last week. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to have baptisms at the end of the month, and a, one of our pastors is going to follow up with you between now and then and talk about that. But that may be your next step. I believe there are many more today that need to take that. Uh, it's going to be an awesome way that we end the month in this series on the 29th. Here's the next one. Join the church. Now, I recognize these first three are very specifically for um, those of you getting started, but that's the name of the series. Listen, there's a gathering on the, the 28th that we call Starting Point where you can learn more about what I'm going to say in two sentences. If you are called to be so committed to the church as Jesus has described, I mean, his bride, his family, his own body, that, that's attached, right? You got to find a church and say, I'm in. Too many people date the church and never marry her. Don't be the lame wannabe player that all the girls hate, all right? Find out the info. You got to find out. I just, I'm wondering how many of those amens was actually about just some guys that have been kind of lazy around here, but we're going to say it's all about. Um, find whatever info you need to find out and go all in. Again, that's what that starting point thing is for on the 28th. Get on mission with the family. Here's the next one. Oh, I'm excited about this one. Find a sparring partner. I've said this a couple of times before. It's becoming a part of the culture around here. I love it. Um, all right. How many of you, by show of hands, and actually participate, show me your hands, um, have seen one of either the Rocky or Creed movies? Rocky or Creed movies. Okay, great. Now, out of all of the seven-part fictional boxing movie franchises, I believe this one is the best, okay? The Rocky series. Now, the best one out of all of them is Rocky Three. All right, you can argue with me later, but I believe the best one is Rocky Three, and here's why. Rocky Three begins with Rocky getting knocked out by Clubber Lang. I mean, what a villain name, right? And if you remember who plays Clubber Lang, it's Mr. T. Mr. T was a bad, mean dude in this movie. And I mean, it's like you're five, six minutes in and Rocky is knocked out, right? And so then the opportunity comes that Rocky's gonna get to have a rematch. He's gonna have a rematch, but here's the thing. Rocky cannot just walk back into that ring with the same skill set that he walked into the ring the first time, because what's going to happen? He's going to get knocked out. In fact, the, um, the guy gives a little interview with Clubber Lang, and he says, what's your, uh, what do you think about this rematch? And Clubber Lang goes, I pity the fool, right? That's what he said. And, and then now it's like a line that we know. And then he says, what's your prediction on the fight? And he goes, pain. Right, I mean, it's just, it's awesome. So that's not in these notes. I'm just getting excited. Look, so Rocky needs training from someone who knows how to fight differently than he does. Because if Rocky goes back into the ring, again, he's gonna get knocked out. So who comes along? Apollo Creed, the greatest fighter Rocky has ever faced. The two become friends. Now, in Apollo's fighting style, when they used to fight, that's Rocky one, Rocky two, Apollo was always more agile and a lot quicker and would dance around the ring. That's exactly the skill set Rocky will need if he's going to be able to knock down the bigger, more powerful Clubber Lang. So Apollo, he downloads all his wisdom onto Rocky. And then Rocky gets back in the ring. Apollo's in the corner. He's like, I have the tiger, Rock. You got the theme song going in the background and everything, right? And then 
It's fascinating to watch the final fight scene because Rocky is moving like Apollo Creed. He's fighting like Apollo Creed and not like Rocky, and then he knocks out Clubber Lang. Man, listen. I want to go watch the whole movie. Listen, it's awesome. Here's what you got to see. <laughs> Who's the hero in Rocky III? It's Apollo Creed, because Apollo Creed makes all the difference. Let me make an obvious connection to your life. You need Apollo Creed, period. The Bible says your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is way meaner than Clubber Lang, and he will knock you out spiritually, which means you will drift away from God and back into your sin, and I've been doing this long enough to watch that happen to people. What do you need? You need a sparring partner, someone who will reveal your weaknesses and your blind spots to you, a fellow fighter that you can lean on and they can lean on you. And listen, there's an important thing in a sparring relationship. Sparring partners love each other enough to punch each other in the face, okay? Now listen, what do they do though? They do it with padded helmets. That's how spiritual sparring partner, that's how they hit you. By that, I mean truth is sometimes hard to hear. And when your sparring partner tells you the truth, y'all, you gotta have the humility to receive it. It'll sting a little bit, but it will not destroy you like a hit from your enemy will. And if you will listen, you'll start to pick up on the lies that you've been believing, the blind spots. And it's gonna be, uh, gonna be hard to hear, but you'll start to see the sin patterns in your life in new ways. And your sparring partner, if you will humble yourself We'll be able to walk with you and show you how you can finally have victory instead of getting back into the ring. Some of y'all been getting back into the ring time after time and keep getting beat down by the same sin. And you're doing the same thing. What else do you expect? Listen, I know it might be hard to hear, but that's why you gotta have that trust with that sparring partner. Iron sharpening iron, so one man sharpen another. The scripture says, y'all, that is not a pillow fight. <laughs> that can be rough but it's worth it. It's worth it. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. What's your next step? For some of you, it's to lead others. Some of you are ready to step out and lead others in community. Y'all, we got to plant 10 community groups by the end of summer just to keep up with the growth that we've had and really the new growth we anticipate. And leading a community group, that might sound big and scary to you, okay? Let me just say something. Jesus builds his church, not you. Jesus changes people, not you. You simply set the stage what we look for is what we talk about. We look for community group leaders. We want people that are faithful, available, and teachable. We want fat people. If you're faithful, available, and teachable, you can be used. That's the requirements, okay? Make a great community group leader. I mean, specifically, West Charlotte, university area, anywhere just south of Uptown and all those neighborhoods, we have plenty of people and we need to plant some groups. And maybe you need to talk to Pastor Scott or Pastor Richard and start talking about taking that step. Listen, let me, let me close out with this. Church cannot be a program you attend. It's gotta be a people you belong to. That's just the way God's wired this thing up. But listen, the gospel creates that unity. It creates that unity because it gives you the security in Christ, the confidence, the love, the acceptance that you're gonna need to risk, to risk being in that close of a friendship with fellow sinners that might hurt you. But it's worth it, church, and I've watched some of you, your story is that you found Christ through the family of Mercy Church. And that's the story of so many people that are in our city right now. It's just yet to be told. That they're gonna find Christ 
maybe through the weekend, but it's going to be in how we live it out among one another.